Welcome to the Fight to Follow podcast. My name is Nate Moyer, and I'm here to tell you that we are in this fight together. You are not alone, you are not forgotten, and you are most definitely not fighting by yourself. It's important to remember that the fight to follow Jesus is a fight that is best fought together. Throughout this life, we are many times faced with circumstances and events beyond our control that would break even the best of us. But that doesn't have to be the case. While the popular saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, may be somewhat true, many times what doesn't kill you actually leaves you injured, which leads to feeling isolated, bitter, depressed, angry, and many other things. You see, when life knocks you down, as it sometimes will, it's important to have a team around you that will lift you back up, dust you off, and continue to fight with you. And that's what this podcast is all about. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Yeah, man. So I, I appreciate you doing this again. Um, appreciate being able to talk with you and just kind of continue this conversation right. around, you know, around Black Lives Matter and right. maybe even some of the other stuff that kind of comes with it. And, yeah. you know, again, we can see where it goes. I'm glad I got pretty good feedback Same um, here. the first one. Yeah. All and sorts of people, too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah me too. Um and I thought it'd be cool to kind of continue it and just see where it goes. And, and uh, yeah, I think it's having conversations, I think, right now is it's just it's important. And we kind of we talked about that in the first one. But it's just, you know, sitting down and listening to somebody and just having a dialogue. And, right. um, you know, it's it goes a long way. But right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking um one of the things that we didn't really get into, but we had talked about it on kind of through the Facebook post mm -hmm. was, and I didn't want to make it political. We can, we can go as far down this rabbit hole as you want to, <laughs> but um, when it comes to the, the democratic party and the Republican party, mm -hmm. there's stereotypes that come with that. And I think, yeah. um, you know, as believers, I think it's important that we realize that, you know, our allegiance is first to God. Right. You know what I mean? And I was reading something earlier this, well, not this week, because this week just started, but last week. Um, and it was somebody was, they were speaking, it was like a small little blog or something that I was reading. And they were talking about how we've, in America, we've kind of blurred those lines and yeah. to the point where your patriotism is almost equal with your allegiance to God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for me, that's always, you know, I grew up, I went to a Christian school and every morning we would say the pledge of allegiance and then we would do the pledge to a Christian, to the Christian flag Mm -hmm. and a pledge to the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it kind of, without even realizing it, it kind of, I don't know, it's for me, I, I've never, it Mental. kind of put it all together. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I think there's something to that, that we, I think it's important to talk about because the stereotype is that since I'm white, I'm a Republican. <laughs> and the stereotype is that- A white Christian. And, and yes, add a white Christian to it. Oh, you got to be Republican. Mm -hmm. And because you're black, 
you must be a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's not always true. And right. even when it is true, I think there's levels to it because, yeah. you know, one of the things that always comes up for me when I have this conversation with other people and especially people that look like me is that the, the big one for a lot of Christian people and I'll say even Christian white people is that, you know, Republicans are against abortion mm-hmm. and that is a hill that people will die on. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think it's a, it's a worthy hill to die. I mean, I think it's an important fight. Valid, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, at least for me personally, I would say, yeah, that's an important fight. Um, but I wanted to hear, um, you know, you had some very good thoughts because there was somebody that posted on my Facebook feed about the history of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. and its roots in the KKK and some stuff there. Right. Um, which, to be honest, I'm not totally, you know, knowledgeable about. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to hear how you broke because you broke it down in a way and you explained how, yeah, it may have started that way, but it's morphed into something different. Right. And same kind of thing with the Republican Party. I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Right. So both parties were different parties than what they are now. And a lot of folks, both parties will compare or bring up who they were, you know, a hundred years ago or over a hundred years ago. And they were very different. Um, Really, the, the, the political party system that we see now, the two parties that we see now, became and solidified who they are now around 1920, around or 19 teens, 1920. Um, you still had those Republicans who were Abraham Lincoln Republicans around during the time of Teddy Roosevelt in the early 1900s. But that was a very, they were even on the minority. And we see it now, like with the versioning of the Tea Party and with the um, highly progressive um, members of, of the Democratic Party. You see that in both parties, the ideals or the, the, the machines driving those parties are farther off to the fringes, are farther left and farther right um, of where most of their I would say most Americans are no matter what side of the fence they lean towards, that is very different. So farther left, farther right, or wherever they stand, um, and the most Americans are not as cut and dry. And so they kind of, it's like shopping, you pick and choose. It's like buying a house. You want this house, you want that house. The house that you can afford doesn't have the stuff that you want. The house that you want, you can't afford. So you try to, Pick the get the one that meets the most. So I think that's a lot of political how political parties work in my view. Um, from a historical standpoint, I shared on that Facebook post that a lot of things that people look at, especially you know, like the Democratic Party comes into a lot of scrutiny because they were the party of slaveholders um, back in you know antebellum period, back in the mid 1800s, and that is true. That is very valid, um, and even up until the 1950s and 60s. Uh, the majority of Southern um, political leadership were Republicans, or excuse me, were Democrats, and they were often nicknamed the Dixiecrats, mm-hmm. um, coming yeah, from the South. Before. Right. Um, however, that that is that kind of that's not the case. With a lot of civil rights legislation, even going back to FDR, with a lot of the stuff that he did with the Works Progress Administration, a lot of those things changed um, ideologies. And the same with Republicans, people many Republicans are fiscally minded and fiscally conservative from a political aspect. And I'm talking about politicians who serve in that regard. 
They don't believe that tax money should be spent frivolously. They believe in the American economy and in capitalism because that is how the majority of Americans have made their wealth, through capitalism. And that wealth is a driver of change and a driver of, of uh, social mobility, the ability to move up um, in, in different classes and caste systems. And so there's validity to that. But from a historical standpoint, again, those parties are very different ideologically than where, where they are now than where they were then. And I can't think of whose names were what, but I think the Democratic or the Republican Party was the Democratic Republic Party. And that's how they became known as the Republicans. And so like things have changed through nomenclature and stuff like that, but just ideals. But really what a lot of changes that happened around the middle of the, the, of the last century, 1950s, you saw a lot of changes in people who had initially supported the Democratic Party at that time, slaveholders, people who believe in segregation and stuff like that, mm -hmm. were drawn more to the Republicans and vice versa. Th those um, Democrats that were still in power were all about social change and integration and whatever, and they became a new party. So it's, it's very different. And the, um, the rugged exceptionalism that, um, and individualism that was once and still is championed by the Republican Party, many people felt alienated by during the civil rights movement and during after um, the, um, the um, Great Depression, they, they kind of didn't buy into that bill of goods, um, which kind of leads into where we were talking before this started about patriotism. Um, you'll, you know, the Republican Party, um, a lot of their branding is American flags and a lot of their verbiage and things is, you know, America, America first, um, um, Mr. Trump's um, campaign slogan, um, which is not inherently bad. That's not a bad thing, but definitely, you know, painted a picture that if you're not under ID, these ideals, you are not American um, and had, a, you know, for many people painted a picture that America should look like this. Um, and the Democratic Party has kind of not really, you know, done that. You know, people used to chide Barack Obama about the flag pin, you know, and if you look at most pictures, he's wearing a flag pin. But, you know, there was a lot of, oh, he doesn't wear a flag pin. He's not, you know, patriotic. Does a pin make you patriotic? <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I've you never know? worn one, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, have, I have once. Um, and oddly enough, is when I met um, Chelsea Clinton. <laughs> wow, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of things there. And, you know, so many people, and it's due to how we're educated. Yeah. You know, our teacher, and this is not an attack on the education system. I am a school board member. This is not an attack on the education system. But, you know, for a long time, what was in textbooks was a watered down version of what had happened. And for teachers to teach, they had to teach, uh, you know, 45 lesson, minute lesson in 30 minutes because of so many interruptions, whatever. You get a watered down version of something that's already watered down. So your understanding of it is already minimalized um, mm -hmm. based on what you were given. And then what you're given and what is received are two different stories. Um, so, you know, when we talk about that context of how the political systems work, like there's, that's the stuff that, that's behind the scenes there. But yeah, there's a lot of weaponization of, of the political systems of America, of the symbols of America. Um, and, you know, I think that's why a lot of those stereotypes exist. You know, people don't understand the history of the parties that they associate with or the causes that champion them. And we can go into that even a little bit more, too. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear more. I mean, go go as far down that hole as you want to because the thing um, – because what I wanted to – I didn't want to get – I'm not a very big political guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe in, in the, the importance of voting, making your voice heard. But I kind of wanted to give you an, I, like an opportunity to explain that a little bit. But then also, like when, when I think when we tell people you need to vote, you need to vote. Um, what are some of the ways that you advise people to vote? Like, because, I'm yeah, glad you asked that. Because I, I think it's, it's dangerous to tell people to vote because I'll be honest, I've gone to vote for like some of the local ones and i'm like i don't even know who this person is you just pick somebody and and that's what i don't want to do because i Mm -hmm. think that's almost worse if you don't know who you're voting for so like what are some of the things that you tell people to look for um especially like young people like i'll be honest i didn't start voting up until a few years ago or well a few elections ago Mm -hmm. um because it just never was something, it was always confusing. And it was always one of those things where I'm like, I don't know this person. He could be lying to me just like he's lying to everyone else. And, you know, what are some good ways to, to use your power to vote and to do it in a way that is actually productive and beneficial. And it's actually, you're, you're informed of what you're doing. So let me address something that you said first, and then I'm going to answer your question. Voting is privilege. All right. We hear the word privilege, it gets tossed around and it makes people nervous. But the right to vote is a privilege. And I'm going to tell you why. When you go to vote and you read some of the questions, the way that they are written and worded, if you don't have a certain level of education, you can't understand what's being asked of you. Mm. There's a reason for that. When you see in certain offices, people can cross file as a Republican or a Democrat. There's a reason for that. And their explanation for it, you know, I'm not getting into like a whole conspiracy theory of the Illuminati, like it's not that deep. I'm just saying there's a reason why it's it's confusing and it's cumbersome. You want people to vote, but you want people to vote and not look too hard into stuff. Just vote. And I think that's something that we got to talk about. Um, That's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, In the youth, in the work that I've done with young people, since I've been able to vote, I've always encouraged people to vote. And I would say that because my parents were so, because my parents are immigrants. They became, they were um, um, green card holders forever um, and became naturalized citizens in um, 2000 or so. Um, and since then they've like been big voters, you know, they've just been all about it. And so they instilled that in us. And so I've instilled that with the kids I work with. What I always tell people, Know who your politicians are. Know who you're voting for. Know what you're running against. Start listening to the news and hear what's going on. You know, there are um, resolutions that are being voted upon. There's public policy that's being voted upon. And then you have your politicians. We don't pay attention to elections until it's time to vote for the president. And, you know, there are more things that come up to that. You don't know who your state rep. I had a history teacher, Mr. Michael Heimbach at Freedom High School. I had him for two years in a row. And... For me, one of my best introductions, introductions to civics ever. Because um, looking back now, I think he definitely leaned more to the right. But the way he presented information, like to me, it was always very cut, dry, and to the facts. But he always, he said, you need to know how many representatives we have. You need to know who your Rick Santorum and 
oh lord i can't remember the man who died a couple years ago but know who your state representatives are uh, um you know he drilled that into us and that's something that i drill into my students now that i work with because the worst thing it's one thing to not be allowed to vote it's another thing to be given the power to vote and not have the education behind it so i always tell everybody know who the people are know who the issues are and you get that by listening to the news a lot of people are like anti-news fake news mainstream media and yes there's bets to that i'm not even gonna i'm not gonna deny that but you know reading the newspaper hearing that there's an issue on the table is important then do your own research hopefully it's through scholarly research that is good and productive and not sites that twist you one way or the other but just you know to know of it and a lot of that is cumbersome and a lot of that is time consuming yeah but people don't want to do that and i don't blame them when you got kids to feed you got a job to do you're just trying to live life i'm not trying to read up should i vote yay or nay on proposition 27. i don't know paint the street sign yellow i don't care i did yeah. you know but you put that all into there at the same time you say also vote for your councilman and also vote for your mayor you know it's it's, it's a lot that's yeah. going on but that's what i tell my kids read listen ask questions listen to the news listen to the radio but ask questions because you can't go in there not knowing but don't think you can't vote because what happens is in a lot of um what i have noticed in a lot of low economic communities whether they're urban or they're rural there is this mindset of your vote doesn't matter mm -hmm. there's mindset of there's games being played behind the scenes anyway so it's all a rigged system so don't vote and you know you're not contributing to the um to the new world order you know a lot of that conspiracy stuff and it's just it's scary because those are people who are not voicing their opinions yeah you know if you are a young person in a rural neighbor not even a young person but a voter in a rural area and they are voting to um raise taxes in your in your area because you have all this valuable property and land but there's no, there are no jobs in your area. How are you going to make the money to pay for the taxes? But you don't know. All you know, there's a proposition or there's a politician who's hand in hand with the people who are trying to take the land or trying to raise the taxes or, or, in, in poli or the politicians hand in hand with the people who don't want to bring the jobs to you. And you don't know these things and you're just like, well, I'm going to do my civic duty or I'm not voting. You know, you're, you're screwing yourself. To be honest, you may have to edit that. My bad. Um, <laughs> no, no, that's good. We're, we're, um, we're, I'm, I like being candid and transparent. Okay. So, um, um, but yeah, yeah. I think it's. What do you think about like the way they do the debates? Because that's one thing a lot of people watch, and I'm always like, man, like I. It's hard because they get like thirty seconds to reply, and then they're talking over each other. You um, got ten people in the span of like an hour trying to answer 20 questions on big important topics yeah how do i after the last debate that i fully fully watched and paid attention was the debate um was um secretary clinton and uh, mr trump in 2016 or 2016 mm -hmm. right before the election because that's when um my wife went into labor like that night um, <laughs> um, and we were paying attention. We, we, that was the last one I watched, but I, I stopped watching because of those. Well, let me not say that. I will watch one on one. I won't do the multi-part because you can't get answers that way. But the other thing is if you look at the presidential debates from years ago to compare them to now, they're two different things. And it's not so much the moderators, 
but it is what we now expect out of politicians. And um, I don't mean this to alienate or to upset anyone because the statement I'm going to make is loaded because it's definitely used to be weaponized against Donald Trump. But I'm not saying this about him. We now expect our politicians to have this brand and this image and this TV persona. Mm. And some of it can be traced back to the um, JFK Nixon um, debates back in the late 50s, early 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially to today, where you have to have the, 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 the charisma, the sex appeal, the, you know, the, the get back. Look at how rude they are to each other. Yeah, they're nasty. You know? yeah, like, and where are the facts? It's like, how many zingers can I get in? You know, how can I pivot? Like, they're so, like, yeah. well, this isn't a, a 90s sitcom. I don't need you to have a, you know, a catchphrase. Yeah. Answer the question. But that happens because they know that viewers want to be entertained. Yeah. And that's the hard part. We as a society lean so much towards entertainment. We don't really want facts. We don't really want information because it's boring. Yeah. You know, we don't want to talk about why it takes so long. You know, drain the swamp. It takes Washington so long to get stuff done because it's complicated. Yeah. It's complicated. You're dealing with lives and you're dealing with money. Two big things. Mm-hmm. So it's complicated. It's not going to be quick. Well, you just vote on it and you go, you got to draft it. You got to process it. Someone has to read it. That's how all that pork, you remember when people were talking about pork, all these things, because things don't get passed unless you throw it in another bill. It's all, it's all, not, I don't want to say it's all a game, but there's a lot of games that are played there. If we don't, again, it goes back to education. If we start educating the, the, the majority of our population and our populace to not be so intrinsically drawn to the carnage, you know, to, 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 the, to the blood and gore that sells of, you know, presidential candidates calling each other idiots and, mm. you know, nasty and, you know, you know, you slept with how many, you know, people, you know, getting into things that don't deal with the issues, talk about yeah. the issues, but people don't like the issues. So that's why the debates get so nasty. So I choose not even to watch it. And I love politics and I love civics. So that's interesting to me. But I can't watch them anymore, you know, unless it's like on PBS and it's like, you know, mom and pop, like, you know, local, local politics, because there's nothing to lose. People don't pay attention to that stuff. But yeah. that's my spiel. Yeah, no, that's good. I think it's, I, I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the debates either. I mean, I'll tune in here and there, but you're right. It, it's just, it's, it gets ugly and it gets nasty and it doesn't feel productive. If anything, it feels counterproductive. Yeah. I think one of the most, one of the most informative things I've ever watched or listened to was, again, I, I like Joe Rogan a lot, so I listen to him a lot. I'll mm-hmm. watch his YouTube channel. He had Bernie Sanders on. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I can't say I agree with everything Bernie wanted to do, but after listening to him talk for like two and a half hours or whatever it was, I was like, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I kind of get where he's coming from and he's, he's right away labeled a socialist and some crazy old man. And he's got all these radical ideas, but listening to him talk, same thing with Andrew Yang. I, I didn't know who he was for nothing, yeah. but listening to them talk and not get cut off after 30 seconds, you see their human side, you see where they're coming from. And I'm like, that's what I think we need more of. Yes, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Because I walked away from, I'm like, I, I get it. Like that, Yeah. to me, that makes sense. I'd much rather, I'd have more confidence voting for someone like that 
than I would for some of these other people that you don't know anything about. And you just, you know, they, you know, you can go to their website and read a couple little things and that's what they say they're about, but are they really about it? Mm -hmm. But that, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Um, I have a question for you. Sure. So you had mentioned um, you hadn't really been involved in the um, exercising voting and stuff until a couple of elections ago. Um, what was your catalyst for saying I need to be more involved? Um, I think I felt, <laughs> this may not be a good answer. I think I felt a little bit of peer pressure. Mm. You know what I mean? As a pastor, yeah. as a leader, it's your responsibility to vote. Yeah. So I think it kind of sparked a fire for me to do some more research and to at least like, okay, you know what? I should be doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's, it's, it is a privilege, like you said, um, but it's a responsibility for me to use that privilege to, to, you know, to do what I'm supposed to do. And, and it's hard because I get conflicted, like going into an election like this year where you have Trump and Biden, where I don't really like either of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, and this was what I was going to ask you about next is this whole idea of having two people to vote from, because you've always heard the statement that they get thrown out. Like if you don't vote for one of them, like if you vote for a third party, you might as well not vote basically. Um, I think there's, I, I think that that's merit to that based on how the system works. Yeah. And I agree. It's just sad because yeah. people I think sometimes will violate their conscience and they'll violate their convictions because they feel like they have to vote for someone. So they settle. Right. You know what I mean? And, right. Um, it's tough. Like, what do you do in that situation? Do you think it's a, do you think it's a, it's a possibility to find, because like, for me, I look at, like, I, I've listened to people when I first started voting, I tried to research some people that I, that I trusted their, like their opinion. I talked to some friends that I have and I tried to, and I, I, I looked at it and they said, you know, from what I gathered together, this is like where I landed was that when I vote, I want to vote for, um, what I feel are, are key issues, key issues. Some of them, you know, fall in people will, will, like I said, you can die on the hill of one issue where other people will be like, eh, I don't think that's as, as high on the priority list. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, abortion's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm against abortion. I'm pro-life. I'm not saying, I'm not passing any kind of judgment on anyone who ever, who has ever had an abortion. I know people who've had abortions mm -hmm. and, and no way am I judging them. But for me personally, it's just a conviction I have. Right. Um, the other one is I try to look at who is going to allow the church to be the church and not put any kind of restrictions on. Because as a pastor, that's one of the things I look at. Like, is this person going to put restrictions on the church to be the church? Are they going to um, push back on some of um, whether it's freedom of of religion or freedom of speech or mm -hmm. stuff that I believe, like I want to be able to preach Jesus, share, you know, my faith with people freely. So those are a couple of the things I look at, but then you see right. on this other side of it, um, the, 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 the progressive side of it, where you're looking at, all right, what are they doing about, you know, reform and, and, and 
some of the stuff that I don't fully understand because I didn't live it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what are they doing for, um, for people that need, you know, some of this stuff like redlining and all that, all that breaking down all that, that systemic racism, you know, I, it's, it's, it's so far out for me. And I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm better than I was years ago mm-hmm. as far as my knowledge of it and my simple, just being exposed to it, mm-hmm. but it's still so much, like, I don't have, I, I don't know what the answer is. Like, it, it's frustrating for me because it's like so many people are hurt right now and you see constant, like there was like four more people that were killed this past week. Yeah. Like the guy in Atlanta I saw. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple other situations that I'm just like, like this isn't going away. Yeah. Like it's not. And I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is. Do we defund police departments? Mm-hmm. And I, you hear people that are passionate on either side of that. So when it comes to voting, all that other stuff to me, I, it, it, it's, I get in the weeds real quick and I'm lost. Cause I'm like, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot that's going on there. I mean, and to your point, I mean, same here, same here. I will tell you, first off, thank you for sharing something so personal. Um, I appreciate you, you know, divulging that part because that, that is a lot. Um, I think, you know, part of what you said is what a lot of people's struggles are. Um, I, there are like three points I want to touch base on. First of all, there, there's a reason why the parties appeal to the basis that they appeal to. Mm. Um, the Democratic Party appeals, you know, people talk about that, you know, they appeal to the poor and blah, blah, blah. That's not, that's not really who they appeal to because a lot of those folks don't vote and, you know, don't do anything. They really appeal to um, rich, liberal people mm-hmm. who believe in those causes. And so that's who they pander to. So that's who they, you know, they speak to those ideals to. On the Republican side, and these are very broad things, and there there are actual legitimate points like abortion, like healthcare, like a whole bunch of things that are brought up that are important parts. But just an overview gloss of how things ended up in certain houses, because some of these things you're like, if you say you're about the poor, why would you not care about the church? Vice versa, if you say about the church, right? Like, what these things True. go together? Why are they un- appear like they're in separate places? True. Um, there's a reason I feel that there's a reason for that and I I, based on things that I've learned I I think they support that um but there's 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 purpose behind that again so I gave you the democratic base or support republican base it is your business owners and people who have made money and made fortunes and they want to protect their investments Okay. In America, a lot of people who have done well in capitalism have also had very strong faith and convictions. The two don't always go hand in hand. I want to be very clear with where I'm going with this. I am not saying that these people were blessed because they were Christians. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that a lot of people who have gotten what they've gotten and, and, and received what they received, and you know, I'm not talking about people who've had money over generations. I'm talking about people who were able to pull themselves up by their bootstraps that phrase that happens um, so often um, that I don't believe is always true. But those people tend to vote Republican to protect the interests of their business because they understand that their business is protected. They have money and if they have money, they can donate to their church and donate to causes. 
which is very fair, uh -huh. which is very fair. Um, where we get into the thicket here is that a lot of times causes alignments with other people, but also if you're, if you, I'm going to make a stereotype, stereotyping situation, but just follow me for a moment. If you are a, um, a poverty stricken um, white person, and I'm making white person as a distinction, and you are able to work for a business owner who owns a go-kart place, and that business owner that owns the go-kart place um, has hired you because you're friends with their kid or you live close enough that you can get there, blah, 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 because you're in a white community and you can get there. He hires this kid. You as the kid, poor white kid, this white guy with money that owns the business sees you. He sees your hard work. He sees your determination. He hires you. Not only he hires you, he says, you know what? I like what you're doing. Come and cut my yard. You now cut his yard. So now you get a second job. Okay. stash away a little bit of money you know you're using some of your money to help your parents blah 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 whatever you're doing all this this guy who owns the business again he's watching you and he's watching he sees what you're doing and he knows what you're doing even if you're not saying it you're helping out your mom all right then what happens is is that he says you know what i have a little bit of money from my business i'm going to donate this to you to get your own business and start your own thing and then you go from there that works, right? And that's how a lot of business owners, I, yesterday I watched a YouTube video about how Popeye's, the chicken franchise got started. Mm -hmm. And it's basically that story. Why am I telling you this story? Because for folks who, un, who have made it through that way, they, what they've seen is that this guy saw little old me and I made it and other people can do the same. I, not everybody believes that, but that is what fuels that and that's what it supports that. And this is a guy who's active in his church and his church has an American flag up by the cross. And, you know, he's a, he, his dad was a World War II vet and, you know, they, they were taught certain things. And in that, so there's a whole system that is there that supports that way of thinking. Yeah. So anything that is foreign to that way of thinking, why would I change that? And that is not bad. That is not bad. And if you have not seen the other side, you wouldn't know. Mm. Whereas same young person, but now you are a person of color. I won't say black, but just a person of color. You get a job. You can't work at the other place or you're not able to work at the other place because you don't live in the area where the go-kart places because go-kart places aren't in poor neighborhoods, right? Yeah. So if you get a job there, you're taking the bus there and you're getting the bus, you, you know, you're doing whatever. All right. Yeah. But just in my example, and I'm doing this because I'm basing this on a real story because I met a gentleman who runs a business and this is what he told me he does. Um, you as the poor child of color, you get a job at your local supermarket. Your local supermarket is run or managed by somebody else who's not the owner. You get seen by the manager. The manager doesn't have the power to give you $5,000, you come in and you do what you got to do. He knows you should get whatever. He does not have the ability to say, come cut the yard at my house. And if he does, then yes, you get that. You then get to that step where you can see that. But most people who live in poverty stricken areas don't have access to that person to give them the opportunity or to give them a little bit of cash, whatever. And I'm not, I noticed I didn't say anything about one person working harder than the other. But yeah. One person worked in a job and in a position where they had the ability to do so. The other person did not. And that's the part of access. And getting back to your the initial part of where your question was going, 
when you have grown up in a religious environment where your church members and your church leaders are businessmen who have all gotten their business in that same way, they, God, God led me to this. So God bless my hard work. And you know, there's an old hymn of the church, work for the night is coming. Why do we sing that? Because in America, we really have forced the effort of hard work. And if you do, you know, X, Y, and T, things will happen. And there's truth to that. If you work hard, you know, there is fruits to your labor, but not all of your fruits to your labor will equal a big house in the suburbs. Yeah. Or um, am I going with this? That's why people, I, in my opinion, vote the way that they do based on those experiences that they have in life. But those experiences that you have in life are shaped by the people around you. That person of color that I explained, they are going to church with people who work the same way that they did. They go to church with the people who cut the yards and who wipe the, wipe the floors or who did cut the yards and wipe the floor, but now are managers at the grocery store or whatever. They are not going to church with the people who have the ability to change and affect the power or whatever. So their religious experience is different. They don't see God as he's blessed me to be proper, prosperous and fruitful. They see God as God is keeping me every day and every step of the way. Every little bit I got is because of God. Both yeah. of them are acknowledging that their that the providence that keeps them comes from God, right? Yeah. The, 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 the kid who's cutting the grass or the rich guy um, who whatever, he's, or the rich white guy is acknowledging this and he's saying, this is, this is work for me. And this guy's going to church where they're all, because that's the other thing, old time church. And most of these people are old time church people. You know, that's old time church. It was somewhat of a social club. You know, everybody made the same kind of money, drove the same. Yeah. You, you and I are the same age. You go to, think back to 1993, you look at the church parking lot, how many Toyota Camrys, how many Buick LeSabres. There's yeah. a reason why everybody looked a certain way. There's a reason for that. Um, and I think that's one of the things that leads to why people vote the way that they do. When you have been indoctrinated and encultured into seeing life a certain way, and I shouldn't even say indoctrinated, when the life experience that you've had and you lived that, why would you see that? So if I'm the, the white kid whom, again, I was poor, I lived a certain way, um, somebody saw my hard work, they gifted me something for my hard work, I was able to do something, I was able to save up because I got two streams of income. And I was able to do this. And I was because somebody helped me out, I was able to start my own business and do whatever. And now I can pass it on to someone else. Why wouldn't I support that? Yeah. But on the other side, I never got any of that. So I'm seeing that, yeah, you got that because somebody gave you. I don't care how hard you work. Somebody gave you because I worked hard too. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people now getting down to the brass tacks of politics, Republicans will say, if, I, if you don't take my tax money and you don't control where I give my money, I can do that for more people. Right? Mm -hmm. But again, it's the law of proximity. Who are you giving that to? Yeah. You people give to people who relate to them, who resonate them. I can see myself in that young man. All right. If I'm, you know, poor, what grew up poor white guy that, you know, did what I did, had what I did, you know, gave something to my mom, pulled myself up, you know, I grew up a certain way. I relate to that. I how can I and how can someone expect me to relate to the poor kid of color who maybe grew up poor? in the sense of not having, but not the same kind of poor. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's different. And that's why those things happen. That's why people vote the way they do. That's why churches end up pulling to the side to the other. So now getting to the point that you brought up about voting on issues, you know, I, and I'll touch on abortion. That's a very strong issue because the right, you know, the gift of life is God given. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, the Bible says that, you know, we are not to take it away. But there are people who have abortions for very significant reasons, whether anyone agrees with the reason or not. Um, and you gave your stance. I'll give my stance. Um, for a long time, I considered myself pro-life and I supported the pro-life movement. I myself am pro-life, but I now put my pitch my tent in the pro-choice camp because while I believe that abortion is wrong, I don't believe I should be telling you or I should be saying that politicians should say, you should say yay or nay. I believe that my job as an individual and as a Christian is to live a life and also be a, be a strong enough, influence enough to say your, that life that you're carrying or that life that you produced is worth something. And there are alternatives. But I, can, I don't feel that it is right for me to say sign legislation because we're here now sign legislation to tell somebody that because I can't afford a child or I can't do whatever that I need to, you know, I don't feel that it's my place to tell you that you can or can't, um, or excuse me, I don't feel that it's my place for the government to tell you that you can or can't. I feel that it is my place as a Christian to live a life. And again, to, to give you the knowledge to say, you know, these are the choices that exist. This is the stuff that you need. And if you're deep in the church, this is what the Bible says. You know, I don't want the government telling me what the Bible says. That's my view. Um, good perspective. That, that's like, and this this is why this these kind of things are important. Because yeah. you have two people that have two different perspectives on it. We're able to have a civil conversation on it. And mm -hmm. I can see where you're coming from. Like, I, and I the same with you. I can, yeah. I you know, because you, in a perfect world, you would want your leaders to represent you because they should relate to where you are. And and that's the case, but we live in a society where, you know, we've not all lived the same life experience. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, for a long time, I was just like, you know, there's, when it came to that issue of abortion, particularly, I realized that I'm seeing a world, I'm expecting people to have the same view that I do. That, and that's the same with sin in general. Um, mm -hmm. I'm expecting people to see the world and see the experiences that I've had. They don't have the same relationship with God that I have. They did not have the same teaching that I got. They did not have the same hunger for, for learning more in Christ that I had. How could I, you know, people talk about holding people to a standard. I'm not necessarily against that, but is it right for me to hold you, Nate, to the same standard as I when we didn't grow up together? We did not have the same circumstances. We did not do the same things. You know, if we're running the same race, you should be able to run as fast as me. I don't know how athletic you are. You don't know how athletic I am. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah. You would smoke the heck out of me, but that's a totally different story. I don't know, man. I put on I'm, I'm pudgy under these shirts, man. Me too. Why do you think I'm just, I'm like shoulder <laughs> Wait, no, same here. Chin up, chin up. It holds the other chins down. But yeah, I mean, and I think that's, that's an inherent, that's the reason why it's hard to see because a lot of people in the body of Christ now, to get to the body of Christ, mm. I think we, 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 we see things in that way because of that. So I, I hope I touched on your stuff. I know I kind of started to go off on tangents. You did. Yeah, I think you did. And it, it's hard to kind of, it, there's, like you said, there's, there's so much here. There's yeah. so much to talk about. And I didn't want to make this whole thing about politics because that's, that's a whole other thing. And I, yeah. for one, I'm not even close to, um, like, I, I don't have enough knowledge of it to really speak about. I'm not, I don't want to say I'm qualified to really hold a podcast on politics. I would um, agree. I know what I know. And that's all that I know. <laughs> I'm not a poli-sci person. 
just I know the bits that I yeah. know. I do enjoy I do enjoy listening and learning from 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 people who who talk about it. Now I think kind of going back to um, this will be interesting to to kind of further the conversation about about Black Lives Matter um, and kind of still stay have one foot in the political world with it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Because again, I'm bringing you my perspective and some of the conversations I've seen and heard in my world. Um, with people who grew up like me, who look like me, who are white suburban people, okay? Um, One of the things they always go back to and one of the things they always point out is they love people like Candace Owens, um, David Harris Jr., Mm -hmm. um, some of these these people who are Mm -hmm. African-American, they're also pro-Trump, they're they're very conservative, they're they're against Black Lives Matter, Mm -hmm. um, at least the, the movement of it. I think the statement they would agree with, but they don't like the movement of it. Some of them don't care for the statement either, but that's where you're going. Mm -hmm. Can you, because I've, I've, I've had, I've seen like Candace Owens had a video pop up a couple weeks ago with George Floyd Mm -hmm. and she threw a lot of stuff out there. And you know, I was listening to people's response about it. A lot Mm -hmm. of people loved her. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people don't like her. Mm-hmm. And I think it's one of those things where you either hate her or love her, but she, she tends, at least from my perspective, I'll give you my opinion on the video. I didn't fact check everything she said. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, she seems, she's a little condescending, I think in her delivery on some things. Mm-hmm. Um, and she seemed to be very, um, I don't know what the right word is, but she was, I think she was focusing a lot, like when you, she, she was talking specifically about George Floyd, she right. kept bringing up his past, right? his drug convictions, mm-hmm. um, he was involved with like an armed robbery, I guess, back in the day, mm-hmm. stuff like that. For me personally, I don't think that justified anything that happened. Mm-hmm. And her point was she was not going to make George Floyd a martyr. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think anyone's making him a martyr as much as they are fighting for justice for him. You know what I mean? I would, because I would agree with you. Okay. But I think there are a lot of people on both sides of the issue that would that that are almost deifying or making him a martyr for the movement. But there have been people who have died before him and as we've seen there are people who have died after him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts? I mean going to give me your opinion on I guess like Candace Owens, some of their some of their viewpoints, some of their mm-hmm where they come from, like, do they have, like, a, a voice in the African-American community okay. that is, like, where people actually listen? Or mm-hmm. are they kind of more just appealing to white conservatives? I, in my opinion, as a black man, and I'm going to tell you why I'm saying it that way, I don't feel that um, she and uh, people um, like her have credibility in the black community. Okay. Black conservatism is a real thing. Black Republicans you know, that exists. Um, I know people who are black Republicans. I at one time saw myself as a black Republican. I am somewhat, somewhat conservative in many social, um, in, in views of things in society, um, particularly as it relates to myself and my faith um, and then and the role that the church plays in, in society. Um, the reason why I think, all right, let me go back. Candace Owens resonates with me because I could have been her. Mm. Um, 
And I say this because I grew up in a home of immigrants um, who were taught that if you work hard enough and keep your head down and do things like the white man, and I'm saying that because that's literally what we were taught. Mm -hmm. Don't do it like the black people. Don't do it like the ghetto people. Do it like the white man. Yeah. It's not going to be a problem. Do what they say. Yeah. And so you do that and you follow those rules and you get in that get in those environments. And what I learned for myself is that I did not get to get in with the white people. Mm. I was never called anything out of name. I was never, you know, you know, no one, you know, ever said get to the back darky, nothing like that. But, you know, there's a certain level of integration or um, embracement that I think one expects when you get into a circle, social circle. And when you do that, realize I'm here and I still don't, I, I, like you let me in the room, but I'm in the corner. That's, it's not, it's not the same. But some, for many black people, for many black people, especially those who agree with Candace Owens and um, um, Paris Baker and, and um, I'm sorry, what was the gentleman's name? Uh, David J. Harris. David J. Harris, thank you. Um, and folks like that, um, you know, Juan Williams, the political con um, columnist, people like that. The reason why they uh, address is because these are people who have worked hard. They've worked hard and they've, you know, gotten what they were able, what they were able to do and get. But um, they're doing so, they don't see themselves as part of the Black community. Wow. Or as, or excuse me, not as part of the Black community. They see the Black community as you've always pandered to, or I'm not holding myself down to that. You know, yes, my ancestors were slaves, but you know, slavery is over. So I, you know, that's not gonna hold me back. And I can applaud that because there's something to be said about that determination. I'm not gonna let those past events hold me back. The issue that I think the greater black community has, and I will say the black community because they're, the majority of black people do not agree with those type of folks. And I'm not going to say black conservatism, but with those type of folks is that they have negated the black experience in America. Okay. People like that will, you know, well, how can I say, how do you know, you know, if you look at, I'm trying to put this in a way that, that is, that is trying to be politically, I'm just going to be honest. People <laughs> look at them like sellouts, right? Yeah. They look at them like sellouts because, frankly, they kind of are. And I can say as somebody who lived that life and had that mindset, I saw black life as why would I want to be part of that? You're loud. You, the pants are hanging. You know, you, you know, the cops is always being called on you. You know, you, it's just it's too much. It's too much. I don't want part of that. I don't want to be part of that. And what I ended up realizing is that when I started trying to be ingratiated with white people, I started to hear and see certain things. Um, and I started to see something in myself. I wanted to be accepted by white people that I made it a point to differentiate, differentiate myself as I'm one of the good ones. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the same mindset that I feel. That's why I use the term sellout. Because when I started realizing, I'm like, oh, I, oh crap, I can't, I can't think like that. And the same, I see a lot of those tendencies. I'm so caught up on making myself different from other blacks. I'm making it a point to let you know that I'm different. So accept me because I'm better. And that's my issue with, with Candace Owens' video. She did a lot of things that had to do with the character, with, with, with George Floyd's character. But one of the things that killed me was that she said, black people, we are the only people I know 
that will fight hard for the lowest rung of our community. Yeah. Yeah. And what yeah. And when she said that, I said that is a powerful statement. Um, many black people that we know that are in trouble for gang violence, okay, or for gang, no, not gang violence, gang affiliation are not in trouble because of gang violence, but because of racketeering. Okay. Racketeering, they made money off the drugs that they sold. What did most drug people who sell sell? Marijuana. Mm-hmm. Which everybody's like, okay, we're gonna let it legal now. All right. Not to do that, but you know, we've always ta- we were always taught that was bad. It was funny. I was driving, um, leaving here to come get in touch with you, driving through the brook, and you know, people are outside they're smoking, and you know, the way I've been trained, my first said, out here smoking this weed out in the open, getting in my car. And I said, Well, that's a thing now. Why am I mad at them? Why am I mad at them? Well, you know, everybody else, I went to Freedom High School. I went to school out in the township. They were doing it out there too. Why why am I mad about that? All right, anyway, back to the point. Point of what I'm saying is, is that that's why a lot of people don't agree with them because Candace Owens and people like her that are on on social media or on um, platforms or not, who see themselves as the outlier will present themselves in a ways that I am different than, I am separate than, I am not one of them. Yeah. And then make it a point to belittle the black experience in America. Black people will tell you we are not a monolith. Um, I have not had many black, the same black experiences because I did not grow up from the same trauma, um, systemic or, or, or um, experienced trauma that many black people felt. I grew up from African immigrants who came here to go to school. All right, their parents were, were not the grandchildren of slaves. Their parents were not sharecroppers. They did not go to se- segregated schools that had less than anyone else. They did not have that. So I was not raised with that information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of those people like Candace Owens, why would I see myself as less than? You shouldn't, black people shouldn't, but a lot of times you'll hear these type of talks like, well, people didn't have whatever, and it's valid. How can you say, well, the schools are so bad. Let's talk about why. No one wants to talk about why black schools are, you know, and I grew up in the South because I used to be very pro school choice because I grew up in the South and I went to a good school because the school in my neighborhood was trash. So my parents, you know, my dad carted to school every day to the other side of town. Um, I went to school in white suburbs, right? Because like I told you, my neighborhood had changed in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and what that did for me is that I, I, I got to understand firsthand what that was like. But from, a, from the context of why that I, I ended up researching, your, your, your school is funded by property taxes. And if you don't own your home, you're not paying the property taxes, your landlord is. And if your landlord is not in the community, does he really care about the property that he's in? No, he wants to keep his costs down. So when you have a rent, when you have rentals in the community and rentals are people who typically can't afford to own a home, so they don't have the money, so they're not worried about keeping up property, the landlord's doing it. And if it's a landlord like many landlords, I won't say most, but many landlords, it's how much money can I make? So I'm not spending money on property improvements. I'm not throwing up a new coat of paint. I'm not, you know, doing lawn care. I'm cutting that grass down low. And if you've got stains in it, I don't care. I'm just not trying to get a fine. So if you're not doing that, that money is not going back into the schools, right? So if you're going to a school, and again, let's, let's, let's keep it real. If you're going to school, or if you're the child of parents who went to school, or their grandparents went to the school, I'll, I'll paint the picture for you. 
I'm gonna give you a real real is this a realistic example. Your grandmother, who was born in 1921, went to elementary school at Little Prairie Schoolhouse. She went to school at Little Prairie Schoolhouse. They got the hand-me-down books from the white school, right? And those were the tattered up books and the books that were already outdated. So they got that. So they're already learning bad information from inferior products. So she has then gone off and she went to school and she now becomes a teacher, okay? But she is now teaching in schools that are now better because they're separate and equal, all right? So she is now teaching in a school where they built a new building, but it's still in that same neighborhood that, didn't, that doesn't have those things. You're not, it's not the same level of education. Yeah. So let's say your grandmother has two children. The one child moves off to Chicago. They go to Chicago. Chicago is not in the South, but Chicago still had segregation. Let's not even say Chicago. Let's say they moved to Bethlehem or Allentown. That's not in the South there was still de facto segregation here due to pricing. So you lived in certain ways. And when you lived in certain ways, you had inferior educations because your schools didn't have what they were supposed to have. So when they didn't have what they were supposed to have, you didn't get the same level of education. And that is passed down and passed down and passed down. Mm -hmm. And so people will say, well, why, you know, all this high crime, all of it relates to the poverty. And the poverty relates to the systems that are in place that have kept people down. And those systems have nev negatively effaced people of certain races systemic racism and that's how we get there but that's why i can't support people like candace owens because they 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 will address the surface issue they'll be the quick one to tell you well if we stop killing each other black on black crime mm -hmm. everybody does that that's a thing we shouldn't it should it, people shouldn't be killing each other just say that but yeah. say that you know what i'm saying well stop you know they believe in all of these tropes and push these tropes on and you know you'll have conservative political pundits parade them around to say, you know, look, there's a black person who agrees, but they don't believe in the black experience. They've negated the black experience. Ben Carson, I love the man. I love the man um, for what he's done in his pediatric work. I love his story, but he is somebody who has understood why you grew up in the projects. Why did you grow up in the projects? All right, you grew up with your dad. Why did you grow up without, without your dad? We don't talk about why those things didn't happen or why those things happened the way that they happened. And that's why I can't get behind they, people like Candace Owens and um, the other guy, his name is already gone. They do that, they do that. And so many others, you know, um, Juan Williams, the uh, gentleman who unfortunately just um, got in this very serious motorcycle accident. My prayers are with him. He's on okay. heavy set dude that's always on Fox News. I can't remember his name right uh, now. I, I know you're talking about, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You know, I, I, can, so I, I understand where they're coming from because I used to think like that. My wake up call, like I said, is that I realized that I had to give up a lot of myself for that. And then I remembered, I was told by somebody, they said, you think that you're better than us. I said, what? But then I realized some of the things that I was saying and how I was acting, I did. And I'll say that about me. And I may be projecting on them, but based on the things I'm saying, they think that too. They don't see value in the things that we, in, in the things that black people have done and whatever. Well, if you just pull yourself up by your, your bootstraps or if you just did whatever, if you just were good, my goodness should not be the reason why I'm alive. My goodness should not be the reason why you respect me. You respect me as a human being. All right. Yes. Right. Now I should treat you, you know, with respect, you know, I'm going on to a whole thing, but yeah, that's what no, I, I just, I, I agree a hundred, that last statement you just said a hundred percent. I mean, I, I don't care if George Floyd murdered somebody. He didn't deserve that. You don't treat somebody like that. You he was high as a kite. Okay. Yeah. What does that have to do with it? 
He doesn't deserve to be a martyr. That you don't get to make that decision just because somebody wasn't good. All right, let's put it in the context of Christ. What did Jesus say on, on Calvary's Hill to the two gentlemen that were on either side? Yeah. I see you as Christ. I know that God has sent you. Mm-hmm. For this day, you shall join me in paradise. Yeah. Christ did not judge the man for what he had done. Christ didn't. None of that matter. Yeah. He, he, none of that mattered. The same thing. It'd be different if we were saying, oh, he shouldn't have died because he was a saint. He should, no, he shouldn't have died because that's not how you treat somebody. Yeah, exactly. Two different conversations. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. It, it comes down to you. That is a human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the same way um, many, many people will say that life in the womb is a life, that was mm-hmm. a life there. And every, every, in that aspect, yes, all lives matter because the, if, if you're going to value the life in the womb, you have, right. to, you have to value the life outside of the womb. You have to value the life of the criminal. You have to yeah. value the life of the backslider, of the adulterer. Yeah. They still count. It is the Lord our God who's to, to not only to, to provide whatever the consequence would be, but to provide grace and to yeah. provide mercy. Mm-hmm. You know, who are we to take that person away from life when maybe God can do the impossible yeah. and change them around? That's not our place. Yeah. Amen. That, amen. That's, that's really good. Um. One other topic I just wanted to touch on, and you can, again, I know we've been talking for a little while now, so we can can begin to wrap this up. Um, Or if you got to go, we can, you know. No, we're good. I'm sending the text, but go right ahead. That's fine. Um, You were talking about um, education and learning certain things. One of the things that I recently learned about and I still, I don't know everything that went down. It's funny how I learned about it. I learned about, there's a show on HBO called Watchmen. Oh, okay. And the beginning of the show starts off in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I believe it's the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And I was watching the show. And I'm like, yo, this is crazy. And then I come to find out it was based on true events. Like what actually happened. Never learned about it in school. Never even heard about it in school. This was, I was, I'm 36 years old and this is the first time I'm hearing about it. And that's probably, you know, I should, you know, be upset with myself just as much, but I'm like, wait a second. Like, why, why haven't we talked about this? You know, we talk about slavery, you know, that's hard to hide, but something like that, that happened in Tulsa with that massacre, you know, never heard about it. So events like that, and slavery, and maybe these are two separate conversations, but those kind of things that have happened, um, because I heard somebody talking about it recently about how, yeah, as, as a white person, I, I don't, and this is me speaking, this isn't what the other person said, and then I'll get to what they said. For me, it's my conviction, I don't think I should have to apologize for being white. Right. In way you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to apologize for being black. Mm-hmm. Um, because me personally, I, I, I did not do anything having to do with slavery or anything. I'm saying you don't, you don't, I don't think you have any slaves, Nate. I don't. <laughs> my, kids, don't. my kids, my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. We'll, we'll edit that out too. Edit that out. <laughs> Just, I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, no, but what I was going to say is, yeah, I, from that, I feel like I'm free. But somebody brought up the point that we are the beneficiaries of slavery. Right. And some of the things that happened. And, and some people even, say that's not true. I don't have any slave people money. 
You may not, but you still might have benefited. Yeah, and that and that's the thing I wanted to ask about is, you know, you can touch on the Tulsa thing if you want, um, and also even even white people in the north. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like people that. You know, my ancestors, as far as I can go back, I don't think they had anything to do with slavery. Mm -hmm. But how has that benefited white people today? Okay. In ways like you, like you said, you may not have any slave money. But in other ways, how, is that, how has that benefited white people? Okay. So, there are still institutions and I used to know this very well, and I can't, I'm, I'm talking about some of the banks that exist that okay. made their money off of slave money, okay? Let's even go back even further. Um, um, oh, Lord, what are they called? The tobacco companies. Okay. I can't think of the name. I'm thinking Lorimar, and that's television, and that's not what it is. Um, but some of the tobacco companies made their money off of slave, slave labor. The tobacco companies invested into other organizations. You know what I'm saying? So that money is now spread apart. So we can talk about that from a financial aspect. There are many corporations that are still advised that are still around today that you know may not be you know the widget that they make now is not the widget that they made in 1865, right? But it's still that was handed out to somebody who had the money to buy so whatever, and they bought this company because they you know they had that. But for many um, white people. Um, especially in this area, they're not, they're far removed from that because they're, they're maybe just, their family just got here a hundred years ago from Europe. Yeah. This is the whole overarching thing. You got to become white. Mm. That's how you benefit. You got to become white because if you were Hungarian, all right, after the second generation, your, your kids speak English like the other kids, kids, all right, you can't tell that they're from whatever. Yeah. You know, you, you, you can't tell. You can't do that with black people. Mm. You can't do that with black people. Black people don't get to become white. And in the cases where they have, you know, they've done so under some very extenuating circumstances. They cut off all ties to their family. And I'm talking about people who have passed for white in life um, because, you know, they had, you know, you know, so much white DNA or not even white DNA, but um, Caucasian or European um um, influences in their in their DNA and how their hair came out and how their skin tone came out that they look like a a, um, a, a white person um, and to be able to do that they've been able to live a life but they have not been able to touch base with their family or whatever so that, that's not a privilege or not a privilege that's not benefiting from slavery but these are what black people have done that is different that's black people who've been able to come white that's a very small percentage but that's how some people benefit from that. The other way people benefit from that, again, is systems. All right. Let's talk about your someone's family made money from slavery. And that money that they made uh, helped build a town. And that town was able to get infrastructure. And that infrastructure brought business. And that business brought more people. So let's give some town of Dormer City, Louisiana. And that's because I'm looking at the Dormer of the house right across the street. Dorman City, Louisiana was a plantation town, sugar, sugar cane plantation. Sugar cane plantation brought prosperity to the area. Um, your family, Nate, heard about the prosperity. You're living out in some godforsaken country out in Pennsylvania. So you said, we're going to move out here to Louisiana, and we're able to get here. And let's say your ancestor was a shoemaker, but like you weren't cutting it in Pennsylvania. You were able to come to this bustling town and make shoes. 
your benefit from that was that although you did not own slaves, your ancestor was able to sell shoes to the slave owner or to the slave owner, to people who made money off the slaves. All right, people don't want to hear that. Well, that's not me. Okay, let's say you didn't get to make shoes. You were just a lowly brick maker at a company and you were able to make bricks for this place. You're in this place that is a booming economy. So there's buildings that are being built by the bricks. That building that they were able to build and you were able to make the bricks for allowed for you to have an income. That income for, allowed for you to have a family. That income allowed for you to save money. That income allowed for you to save money to send your daughter or your son off to some sort of trade school and they learn how to do something. And now they own an HVAC company. And that HVAC company now gives your family money. And that allowed for you, Nate, now to have the ability to go to Little League. And because you're at Little League, you put your best friend was at Little League with you whose dad owned a car company and he had money and they said, hey, you want to go with us on a vacation? And you went on a vacation, you got to see the world or got to see something else different because of your proximity to someone who had money because they had proximity to somebody who had money from slavery. All right, a long tangled web. And somebody said, that is so cumbersome that almost proves my point that I don't directly benefit. But the way that you benefit is that that money still drives the economy. And if you are part of the people who were not allowed access to that money and that economy, you are further pushed down. So even though you may not benefit because you never touched the money, you were not part of the class that was pushed down to not be able to touch the money. So because of that, it's different. And, you know, there are people talk about, you brought up Tulsa. Tulsa's a good point. These are people who were right after the Civil War during Jim Crow. They were able to build up their own community and do whatever they were able to do to build themselves. And they were able to get, um, they were burgeoning um, political power and doing things. And that's what happened in a lot of these race riots. Redwood, um, Rosewood down in Florida, Tulsa, and numerous places throughout. If you were able to make it from or if your ancestor was able, even if they did not directly benefit from the slave money themselves, they were able to benefit from the proximity to those people who benefited from slave money. Yeah. And that's the difference in the, you know, in the economics of it. You know, you as the child of the brick person whose parent went off to trade school, who then started an HVAC company, who then allowed for you to go places, you were able to go places and have access and resources that somebody who did not have that was able to have. Mm. And in the black community, um, that often was not the case because they were not able to benefit from that. You have some black people who were able to share crop and were able to make money, but most sharecroppers never made money because it was a system in and of itself made that you will always owe, so you're always behind. But it was a survival mechanism. I always have somewhere to live and there's always something to eat and I always have somewhere to go to work. So you have that. Yeah. Um, but that's where that is. But going um, even further in terms of economy, you have had black um, places, um, black um, neighborhoods and communities where they were able to break out of that due to the work because of those that same proximity. Um, because hey, you know what, you did work your thing. Because there were some slave owners. I'm going to say something that's a little controversial. There were some slave owners who did right by their slaves. They had slaves because I needed a workforce to do whatever. Um, when after slavery is over, you know what? You deserve some of this land too. I'm going to give you some of it. Or you deserve some of this money too. Those people who were descended from those people were able to start some of these black communities. And from them having that money, they were able to start a place that was booming so that the same thing happened. You had brick makers, you had shoemakers, you had housekeepers, whatever, and they were able to build this. The issue that happened is that when you had that, you developed clout and you developed political power. 
And at that time in the early 1900s, black people had that clout and political power was upsetting the apple cart of the white dominated structures that existed at that time. So what you had is that you had up in the Negroes trying to tell somebody how to live and they didn't want any part of that. So that's why there was lynchings and that's why there was town burnings and all of this and it happened in Tulsa and it happened in Rosewood and it happened in Louisiana and it happened in Georgia, and it happened in New York City, and it happened in Philadelphia, it happened in many places where people were like, y'all, hey, you're cutting off, you're doing too much, you think you're big and bad. And we have some of those attitudes today. It wasn't that long ago where people would see the Hispanic community here, oh, they're, hmm, oh, they think they're doing this and that, you know, you know, whatever, you know, cut them back, you know, they do that at the Spanish Council, speak English here, you know. We, yeah. There's still some of those attitudes and mindsets that still obstruct how people live. And going back to those communities, when you saw, and again, their proximity to that, to, to that power and that money was a little bit truncated, but by being at the point where they could you know, be able to establish themselves, they were able to make it. There are, there are some black people who can say that they made it. I know some black people who their family still has land that was deeded to them by their slave an, slaveholding ancestor that they have. You know, and they so they have land. There are some people, the but the vast majority of black people will tell you that they don't have that, or they had, you know, because that was all they had, they had to leverage it to get what they needed. So they no longer had the land. And you know, land is power in America because that's money. So that's a lot of it that people don't know. They don't know the history behind it. And that's why I can't fault people when people talk about, you know, someone so ignorant. They they truly are, they don't know. We didn't know that until somebody made a YouTube video. No one read that part of the history book in eighth grade. You weren't paying attention to that. Let's be real. And I think that's, that's the hard part. And how this relates to the communities of faith, where I was going before. That and communities of faith and how it relates to the politics and how it relates to what's going on. When the descendants of the people on either side of that economic situation have had the government systems and powers do certain things that benefited them in one way or the other, they're going to support that. So for folks who were the children of the bricklayers and whatever, the economic systems that allowed them to work and keep their money worked out. I mean, let's talk about the Republican Party was, is not the party of unionized work because there were many people who had organizations that worked and worked. I mean, Bethlehem Steel was one. There's a marker on 3rd and Pierce Street about the riots that happened because they, the Bethlehem Steel paid the Bethlehem Police Department in the early 1900s to go around and club people on the head for trying to start a union. That's a thing. I met somebody who was a descendant of someone who died from that riot. And these were all people, you know, white people, ethnic um, Europeans. That's a thing that happened. That's tangible history. But these are people who Bethlehem still got unions and then they got jobs and they let people in. There are people today who still got good Bethlehem steel money. I'm talking about executives, not people who worked at the plant, not worked in the plant, but the top level executives and people who founded the railroads. There are people who are still living off of that money today. Wow. Still living off that money today, 150, 200 years later. We can't negate that that's a real thing or say because of their hard work. No, your grandpa worked hard and he worked hard because he exploited people. That's how you got money. And that's how things worked. And it was a doggy dog world. Yeah. So that's a thing. Do you think, um, you know, usually when this comes up, people talk about reparations. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? And like, if, if yeah, let me hear let me hear your your thoughts, I guess, before I say anything. I think up to 50 years ago, reparations would have been the right thing for this country to have done. 
Um, I think at this point, from an administrative standpoint, there are too many people that would benefit from it that sending everyone a $2 check is almost a disservice. Mm. I think honestly what needs to happen and to those who will watch this that will not disagree, I am not saying that you as a person need to do this. I'm saying that our country as an institution and as an ideology needs to do this. We need to atone and apologize and say, descendants of slaves or even the world, we are sorry for our part in the transatlantic slave trade. We are sorry for what we have done here in this country because we are acknowledging that the practices that we had in this country um, benefited the uh, select few and harmed so many. Yeah, I think that's what needs to happen. I mean, I just think from, a, from, from an administrative standpoint, that's impossible to take care of. From a fiscal standpoint, you know, that, that's, that's, I don't, we ain't got money like that. Like, come on guys. Yeah. And how do you decide how much is the right amount? And... Exactly. Like I said, and you know, again, I'm going to give you a $2,000 stimulus check because, you know, you know, our country allowed for your great grandfather to get beat down, you know, and, you know, never have his own personhood. That's almost, you know, you know, you know, saccharine and, you know, embarrassing. I, I wouldn't want, I personally wouldn't want that. I don't deny the validity of asking for that. But I just think, again, if we were to do that, it would be kind of like how the stimulus came out here. We just printed extra money. You know, it's not really. <laughs> yeah, where did this come from? <laughs> yeah, we just, we just printed extra money. You know, so that if that's what you're doing, that's going to hurt our economy. Don't do that. But instead, find ways. And I think a perfect solution is saying, America, as a country, we are drafting this legislation or we are saying this issue that's on White House letterhead or on um, Capitol Hill letterhead stating, as a country, we are admitting that we did wrong. And we are saying that we are sorry as a country for what we did so many years ago because yeah. it can still be felt today. That's what needs to happen in my opinion. Because it's hard because I don't know how you, because um, so much of the country was built on that it's almost like you need a do-over, but you can't, you know. Yeah, it's too late now. You can't. You can't go back and change anything. I have heard certain people talk about it in the sense, and I think I could wrap my head around this and think, because they were talking about how if, if they did do some kind of reparations, it should go to neighborhoods, schools that have, have been affected by it and that need the money, rather than send everybody a stimulus check. Mm -hmm. Put it into schools, put it into community centers, places that are going to actually help the community as a whole, rather than send it to individuals. I'm not against that, but I think, again, it's the intent behind it. Mm -hmm. Is your intent behind it because, you you know, not you, but those yeah. who are thinking that, I still don't want to admit that this is the case, that the Black community is disturbing of that. There still needs to be some accountability there and some, like, this, these are slave reparations because we messed up because of slavery. So yeah. because of that, we are going to do that. I think that the greater black community would, would champion that and would be okay with that. I don't speak for all black people. I don't speak for even my wife, but I just think that, I think that there's some, 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 some truth to that. But I think folks who, I think folks, I think there are white folks in power that if they would push that as a alternative, it is um, as a place to say, I am not interested, or this is my way. I don't need to say I'm sorry. You know, I don't need to say I'm sorry. 
which you may not need to say I'm sorry, but our country does. And by you doing this, are you choosing to still not acknowledge it? If that's the case, we're still in the same boat. All right. Well, last question, and I'll keep it a quick one, and then we'll wrap this up. I think you can answer this pretty quickly. <laughs> um, hopefully. As a man of faith, as a, as a follower of Jesus, what's, um, what's like the primary thing that you're praying for right now that God would really do in our country to bring healing? Because everybody swears they have the answer. We know the answer is found in Jesus. But yeah. what, you know, for you personally, what would you like to see and what are you praying for that God will do just to kind of bring healing? I'm praying that God removes the scales from all of our eyes. I think a lot of what has happened is because we were blinded to how other people have lived. I think we were made to say, we don't need to acknowledge how we live ourselves. No one needs to see that. I just need to work hard and you know, forget all the stuff that happened behind. Whatever the case may be, we're not seeing other people's point of view and we're not listening to each other. So that has been my prayer and that continues to be my prayer. And I feel like my prayer is being answered because I'm, because of conversations like this um, and conversation I'm having conversations like this, where brother, a brother like you, brothers like you and I can just have a conversation, yeah. but I'm also having conversation with people whom prior to this situation, prior to George Floyd would have shut this down and be like, no, America first, don't take my guns, whatever. We're having those type of conversations. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that people are able to see. And I think that will be the beauty of, of this situation. That will be the, the beauty that comes from the ashes of this, the literal ashes of this and the spiritual ashes of this. Because there are some people that are hurting. There are people, there are white people who are so hurt and so moved, but feel like helpless. What can I do? And feel not only helpless, but like, this isn't my cross to bear. Like, I didn't have anything to do with this, but I see that you're hurting. But like, what? Are, and I get that. There are people who have, you know, I had a friend of mine who was talking the other day. She has a child. She has a, um, a black child. She's a white woman. And her father, she said she grew up and her father was right, like openly, advertently racist and was like, don't bring no black. Well, she, he used a different word, but don't bring no boys home. And she, re, she remembers that to this day. And I think it is, it is moving that people who live those lives are able and feel empowered to say, I share this and I know this. And I know that this is not the vast majority of white people, but I know that we can all know somebody who has told an off-color joke. Mm -hmm. Grandpa has said some really messed up stuff. And I'm choosing today to say I'm not part of it. And in particularly in the body of Christ, if we continue to pray that people open their eyes and stop this idolatry, I'm gonna say this now, stop this idolatry of, of our nation, stop the idolatry of, 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 of some of the ideals and tropes that we pushed as a society, I'm going to tell you that nowhere in the Bible does it say that America is the chosen nation. That is not biblical. And I'm sorry to Pastor John Hagee, and I'm calling him out only because as a child, I remember that's yeah. what I always got from listening to Cornerstone. Um, and I, I love, I actually liked his church a lot. I love their music. We got to stop that idolatry. We really do. Yeah. God does not care. In my opinion, we should not be flying American flags in our churches or anything like that, or solely in our church, or they shouldn't be up, you know, if, you, if your church is a traditional church up by the altar, that's not the case. If you're flying a flag, you're flying whatever, whatever the case may be, 
we're not worshiping those. One of the things I've done is that I stopped even playing patriotic music during service. Mm. So like on 4th of July, I don't play um, God Bless America, or not God Bless America. Um, yeah, like God Bless America <laughs> or something like that. I'll play like My Country Tis of Thee or Battle Hymn of the Public. I'll play patriotic music that speaks to scripture. Yeah. That's the difference. You know, we have to stop doing that. Nationalism is not Christianity. I agree. Nationalism is not, is not serving God. You know, God does not care if you're an American. He doesn't care if you're a Korean. God doesn't care if you're a communist. Yeah. That's not, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because it's, I'm seeing it more and more. The lines have been really blurred. And if, if you're anti-patriotic, it's almost like you're going to hell. You know what I mean? Like you get treated and it's, you know, I love my country. I love the freedom that we have here. And I'm, I'm great. My dad was in the air force. Like I'm grateful for it. And, you know, I salute like all our veterans and people that are in the military. Like I'm grateful for them. Mm -hmm. But as, as you know, you know, I heard somebody say it really well. They said, I'm not a, they were talking about, I'm not a, a uh, white Christian. I'm not an American Christian. I'm a Christian white person or I'm a Christian American. The Christian comes first because it's an adjective. Mm -hmm. So that has the power over what comes next. That's the first thing. I am a follower of Jesus before anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, that's what, that's what's most important because if my country, listen, the the Bible does say obey the laws of the land and everything. But as soon as that starts to violate the law of God and we start seeing things that don't add up, Hey, you know, I will say that I agree with you and I'll leave this because I think we can have another discussion on why there is a black church and a white church. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that, that there's a deeper discussion there, but um, I, I agree with those sentiments, but even for myself, I would say I make the distinction now that I'm a black Christian. Mm. I say that because you will find that how people perceive God, and how their relationship with Christ is, is colored by the experiences that you have. And the experiences that I have in my life have been through the black lens. Mm-hmm. So like, as I shared before, you know, Christians know that God is our father. Um, but many people will see God as a father, as he's a provider and he's given and he's blessed and he's protected the things that I've worked hard for. There are also Christians who have never, re- who have not been, sorry, my computer's telling me I need to put my charger on. Um, there's, um, there are Christians who've never had, who never had that tangible benefit, but they still know that God is a provider because he made sure that the rice and one chicken leg was able to feed the family of seven. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They know that God is a miracle worker. Mm-hmm. Just like you know that he'll provide and protect your investments, this other side will know that God will provide and protect me when I try to scrape my pennies together. Mm-hmm. And I think as we try to figure out and navigate those things, those color how we praise, those color how we pray. Um, and that is important in the American context because I think that's something here that is different in other branches of Christianity. I don't think you see that in Orthodoxy. I don't think you see that in, um, in, in Catholicism. Um, in, in poorer countries and, you know, in, in Christianity and some of the poor, in, in native Christianity in the poor, poor countries that, you, you know, they got it from the source. Uh-huh. You do see some of that from people who got westernized Christianity, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah. But I agree with that sentiment. God 
God cares nothing about that. God, God loves me because I'm black. God appreciates my blackness. God created my blackness. Yeah. But God does not love me because I'm black. Yeah. No, that that's well said. That's very well said, man. Thank you, so definitely back you up on that. Thank I'm, you, brother. That was good to hear. So well, listen, man, I appreciate you doing this again. Um, you know, maybe we'll do it again here soon. I'm open to doing, you know, this is part two. I'm open to doing parts three, four, five, six, whatever, whatever. Yeah. However if it goes. If y'all want to hear it, we'll do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's see where this goes. And more importantly, I feel like I'm walking away with, walking away with something with a better understanding of things, a better knowledge of things as well. Um, and hopefully other people that listen will do the same. And my real, my, my biggest goal from doing this is to encourage people to have these conversations right? and, and to realize that you don't, I think people shy away from it because we touched on this last time. There's an obsession with being right yeah, and, and impressing people with what you know. So people shy away from conversations that they're not familiar with. Right. And I, I think you, you lose so much when you do that. Like it's okay not to. It's okay to say I don't know. Yeah, right? it it's really also okay is. to say I don't agree. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't resonate with me. It's it's yeah. okay to say that. You know, I've seen a couple of things that say you know, if you say agree to disagree to a certain thing, no, people are allowed to agree to disagree. Yeah. You may think that all of what I said was hogwash. You may see I still don't believe in systemic racism. You have a right to feel that way. Yeah, you do have a right to feel that way. Yeah, I. I couldn't have said it better. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I do believe, you know, these conversations do, like you said, the scales start to fall off and people's eyes are open. Yeah. Yeah. And at minimum, people are informed of stuff that they didn't know before. And then they have a choice to do something with that information. Right. So, right. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you. Um, brother. Let's continue to stay in touch. All right, brother. And I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you later. Hey, before we go. Yeah. Let's pray. I love it. Let's do it. All right. Father God, it is you who is the creator of all things, all things bright and beautiful, all things great and small. Father God, you are the father of all. And we just pray right now for our brothers and sisters in this country. We pray for people of color. We pray for white people. We pray for um, those who work, whose work puts them in harm's way. Those whose work puts them in a place where they are, are tangible in the community. God, we just pray for our country right now. We pray for our leadership. We pray for those who are decision makers, Father God. We just pray for healing across this land, God. You said if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves. Well, God, we come as humbly as we know how. We come on bended knee. We come with tears in our eye. We come with stains on our back. We come with snot running down our nose. God, we come as humbly as we can praying that you change the direction of our country, God. We come asking that you will help us turn from all of our wicked ways, God. Wicked ways of not seeing the other. Wicked ways of not wanting to understand. Wicked ways of putting other things before you, Father God. We come asking that you just help us turn and turn back to you, Father God, and help us acknowledge those things, things left known, things known and unknown, things done and left undone. Father God, we just ask that you change our hearts and change our walks and change our minds so we can be better for you, Father God. Mm-hmm. 
God, we know that the holiness that we seek is not for our own. Our righteousness is not for our own, Father God, but so that we can be better in your sight, Father God, for we are your creation, Father God. So just heal us as individuals so we can come together as a collective, Father God, and that this will heal our country. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Yeah, I have a friend who's, who's um, he, he's, he's been speaking a lot about this. He's a pastor out in California. And, you know, he's just been reminding us that we're the solution. Yeah. You know, it starts with us. Yeah. And I think as soon as people realize, listen, you may not know who to vote for, but you, kn- you know how to treat people. You know what I mean? You know how to love on people and, and to open up and have conversations and, and just be polite to people because that's where it starts. It starts in our schools and our neighborhoods and the grocery market in the grocery store. Like when you got somebody in front of you, instead of being a jerk and cutting in front of them in line, just extend that grace. And it, yeah. That's where it starts. Yeah. It's those, those little things that add up. So agreed. But thank you, man. I appreciate you. And uh, thank you for praying, man. No um, that's what it's all about. So, That's right. All right, all right bro. Be blessed. I'll talk to you soon. I hope that you've been blessed, encouraged, and maybe even challenged by this podcast. If you have, be sure to subscribe. And if you're feeling extra nice, go ahead, give us a quick review, and maybe even show us some love on social media. We would love to have even more people join in on the fight to follow. Right now, we currently can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, along with a few other platforms as well. And lastly, I would like to ask that you continue to support us by simply praying for us. Pray that God would open up doors of opportunity and that we would be obedient and full of faith to follow him. Thank you for listening.